Test, test. Welcome back from your break. Wonderful to be together. Wonderful to be with you too. Those of you that are, I know there's, I know some of you personally streaming with us. We're glad you're with us too. Please open in your scriptures to Exodus chapter 19. In just a moment, I'll be reading from Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 9b. You'll see why. Even if you don't have a 9b, you can look at verse 9 and see that verse 10 starts in the middle of a sentence. So we're going to read that until the end of the chapter. And I'm going to include the first two verses of chapter 20, although Dave will be speaking next week from chapter 20 on the Ten Commandments. It, it gives us a little more context for what's taking place uh, on Mount Sinai uh, on this day. Let me pray, and then I'll read beginning in verse 9 of Exodus 19. Father, thank you for your word that is both clear as well as life-giving when we draw near to you by faith. I pray, Lord, that you gather our hearts and our minds and, and rivet our attention on these, these verses. Even if the story is familiar, Lord, there are particular moments and details in this particular passage that are intended to both deepen our understanding of you as well as, Lord, um, enlarge our worship of you that we may, with both gratefulness, reverence, and awe, live our lives as those whom God has redeemed through Christ and also whom God is using to point others to Christ as well. So hear us now, Lord, as we come to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 19, this is God's word. Beginning in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. 
Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Thanks be to God for his word. This chapter and this moment in this chapter is a defining moment for the Israelites and full of redemption redemptive significance for the Israelites as well as for us. All that will take place following this moment uh, is informed by this defining meeting with God on the mountain. And that's the title of my message, Meeting at the Mountain of God. And here's my main point. This morning in Exodus 19, God calls us into a relationship with himself so we can glorify him and enjoy his presence. God is the one initiating through his calling of the Israelites a relationship with him that will both glorify him and they will enjoy his presence forever and he is as well with us. But in order for us to see that, we have to see first, and I read it with this emphasis, that the God of Exodus is the God who comes down to meet us. He is the God who comes down. And the repetition of that phrase, as I read this passage, points to the fact that our God, the God of the Bible, the God of both Exodus and the God who is revealed in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all the promises made to the Israelites in this defining moment, is a God who humbles himself and comes down to meet us. 
He not only speaks through Moses and to the people, he comes down. And why I think that's significant as we begin is we gain a better view of ourselves in this passage when we remember that the God of Exodus is a God who comes down. We also are given a glimpse of a holy God when we remember that he is the God who comes down. And it then gives us really clarity to understand the mountain that Jesus brought us to, which is not Mount Sinai, according to the author of Hebrews, but is another mountain altogether, Mount Zion, where Jesus came down to meet us. So we've got some work to do, and I have little time to do it, so I'm going to move efficiently. And since the kids are here, I want to begin with an illustration. Where are my kids? There they are. What am I holding this morning? Can you see this? That is not a green bean. Thank the Lord. That is an apple that still has its sticker on it, which is kind of weird. How many of you go apple picking or have gone? Grace, you go apple picking? Good. Izzy, you go apple picking? Do you guys ever go apple picking? Now, so I'm not talking about apple picking at the supermarket. Although, that's where I got this, and I do pick up my apples and look at them. I'm talking about the apple picking that you do at an orchard, right? And we, when we moved to New England, were quickly introduced by you and others that there are orchards near here where we can go and pick apples. Now, as a non-native New Englander, I do not remember apple picking in the suburbs of Philadelphia. We would buy cheesesteaks with or without cheese whiz. We did not go apple picking. But I quickly found that going apple picking was enjoyable, even though I knew not what we were supposed to do. For example, the first time we went to the honey pot there in Stowe, Massachusetts, I noticed that there were many apples already on the ground. And so I would pick those bad boys up take a bite of them, throw them in the bag, only to be scolded by family members who were a little self-righteous in that moment and indicated to me, Dad, you don't pick up apples from the ground. You certainly don't bite into them. You go up the tree on those weird-looking ladders and you wiggle yourself up into the top branches and you pick apples and then drop them down or put them in a bag. You following what I'm learning here? So don't pick up from the ground, even though they seem to be just as edible as the ones up in the tree. But you climb up the tree in order to pick the apples, and you pick the big ones, right, the red ones, and you drop them down, and they put them in a bag, and you go home and you eat those apples. Everybody following what I learned? And I have since returned to that orchard and now climb up the tree in order to pick the apples and not be scolded by my family. The God of the Bible does not call you to climb up to meet him. Scripture doesn't give you ladders to climb up, so to speak, to be with him. There is no command in the Ten Commandments Climb up to meet me. 
No. Even in this moment where God reveals his majesty, he's coming down to meet us. Amen? That's unlike any world religion. That's unlike any irreligion that says we do things, right, in order to gain spirituality or whatever the current explanation is. The God of Christianity isn't like apple picking, although he made the apples and blessed us with these orchards. He's like Jesus who humbled himself in order to come down and be among us to bring his kingdom, his unshakable kingdom to you and your parents and to me in order to receive him. But here's the challenge for people like me, maybe it's a challenge like you. It says, as I read through the passage, there were instructions given to Israel prior to God coming down that gave me a better view of myself. They gave me a glimpse of myself and an understanding into, even with God coming down, what hinders and gets in the way of me having a relationship with him. And you know what it is? It's that I am often distracted from him. Did you notice Moses was told by God in the second speech of this passage, through it, that Israel was to consecrate themselves for, for two days and that on the third day God will come down. Consecrate simply means prepare yourselves. God's coming down. Prepare yourselves. And they were told to do something that would have been very hard to do for them. Wash your garments. They're in the wilderness. There are no laundromats there. There are no car washes there. There are no sprinkler systems there. Water is a scarce commodity. So when it says wash your garments, that's going to require some planning and some intentionality and some effort and some folk. Not only that, and your parents can explain what this means in verse 15. They were to abstain from hanging out with their spouse for a little while in order to prepare themselves for God. The message is clear. If God is coming down to meet us, he wants our full attention so we don't miss anything, so we don't miss him. But you know what I tend to do? Because God is a humble God and he condescends to meet me, I can be a little more casual when it comes to meeting with God. I can put down the sword of the spirit, the scriptures for a week and come to church and feel somewhat mm, unmoved by what I'm hearing. I can, I can put down the shield of faith and live in doubt and unbelief and by my own choosing and then come to church and understand why things don't seem to be connecting. with. I can fill up my days with work. I can fill up my evenings with movies or sports. I can buy crypto. I can do a hundred different things, but be casual when it comes to meeting with God. And it's a problem. Do you know why it's a problem? It's a problem because we're given a glimpse of a holy God that however you understand holiness demands our full attention. It's so otherworldly, I can't even come up with categories for it. All the ones I've read by the great ones like Sproul, they still fall short. God is so holy, so majestic, so other than me. Anything I could use to describe how 
otherly he is will fall, will flow. I just know this. When God comes down and makes himself visible in his holy being, things start shaking around him. There's a whole lot of shaking. And there's loud trumpets. And the fire's burning up the mountain. And there's smoke billowing up in the air. And God's coming down. It's a little bit overwhelming, isn't it? And because God's merciful, though, because he said he's coming down, and, he, and he, he wants us to understand that we are often distracted from him, and so we need to prepare ourselves, he sets up these boundaries and barriers, right? Uh, in other words, he puts up yellow tape. Kids, have you ever seen yellow tape, like, in your home, where mom or dad puts it up and says, you cannot go in this room right now. We are cleaning this. Or have you ever seen yellow tape on the street when there's like a pothole or, or the fire trucks are out doing something with the fire and they put up yellow tape? Or you see it on TV, yellow tape that maps off an area where there's been a crime scene. There's yellow tape all over this passage. Why would God put up yellow tape to restrict God's people's access to him when he worked so hard to bring them out of Egypt and bring them close and he's coming down because he's holier than they realize and they tend to be distracted and not wholly focused on him just like me and so I'm given a glimpse of a holy God in this passage. And restrictions which pull against me being casual towards my relationship with him in order to prepare me for a different mountain that Jesus has brought you and me, which the gospel points us to. Hebrews 12. If you're a Christian, we have not been brought to Sinai. Jim, this is quote number two. The writer of Hebrews says, we have been brought, spiritually speaking, not to Sinai where there's loud thunder and fires burning and trumpets blasting, but in Hebrews 12... We have been brought to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels who are gathering festally, which I think means they're celebrating, to the assembly of those enrolled in heaven, meaning those who have already died in Christ and gone ahead of us, to God, the judge of all. So he's still holy. He hasn't changed at all to the spirits of Righteous made perfect, which Dan alluded to in worship, that in Christ we are righteous through faith in him. But ultimately, Christians, we are brought to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood, his blood, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember Abel killed by his brother, his blood cried out for justice to the sprinkled blood of Jesus, which satisfies the justice of God. And through faith in him, we have been forgiven 
all of our sins. And through Christ and his triumphant resurrection, we have been not only clothed in his righteousness, but we can now with boldness draw near to him. So when we meet God, we don't meet him on the mountain called Sinai. We meet him in the face of grace and mercy in Christ. Isn't that glorious? Doesn't that give you, doesn't that give you fresh ability to, as you go into your week, give God more, not less of your attention, recognizing with gratefulness what he has done through Christ in coming down as the son in, in his incarnation and living obediently to his father as our representative and then offering his perfect life as a substitutionary sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. That's atonement with what the writers of scripture call propitiation and then triumphantly being raised from the from the grave declaring that it is finished through faith in Christ. We have been brought near to God our sins. And now we can be his treasured possession. And from that place of mercy and grace, yes, obey his voice. Listen to him. Obey him. Because he is worthy of our reverence and awe. So I conclude with this, because many Christians, even me, get confused about this, because that's very good news, was I just mentioned, nothing has changed about God's holiness. Nothing. Nothing. Evangelicals, we talk more about God being our friend and his presence in our lives than we do about his holiness and how he's worthy of all. The writer of Hebrews says he's a consuming fire. Nothing has changed. But the new covenant, which doesn't diminish God's holiness and the judgment to come, exhorts the reader to behold Jesus, the face of mercy and grace for the sinner like me that can not only receive pardon, but be brought near to a holy God, knowing that he has called me into a relationship with himself so I can enjoy his presence and live obediently to the glory of God. Amen? What did you learn about God this week from Exodus 19? I hope you learned that you've been brought to a different mountain. Oh, I'm so glad I wasn't brought to that mountain. I was brought to this mountain, to where Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant with superior promises meets me and meets you with his mercy and grace. How can I respond to him with awe and gratefulness and reverence? Well, let's start with what so easily distracts you. And what so easily distracts me so that when I come to church, I'm not really wholeheartedly here. I'm, I'm thinking about not vegetables with pepper on them, but I'm thinking about that thing that you're thinking about. Don't be condemned by that, but know that this, this mount we've been brought to should and does create within us new desires and abilities to give him more attention during the coming week, not less. And then lastly, who can we pray for? 
who can we pray for this week that God would open their eyes to behold both his holiness and his loving kindness in the face of grace, our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been brought to a different mountain as Christians. He's the same God. May God give us his grace not to refuse his voice and the glory revealed in both Exodus 19 and Hebrews 12, but encounter him in his holiness, in his justice as our substitute, in his, in his wrath and judgment for sin, and in his mercy and grace, in the forgiveness through Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, first and foremost, we're, we're humbled and we're grateful that you came down. What good news that is. And although I enjoy apple picking, I enjoy more the reality that, Christ, you came down in order to have a relationship with me and draw me near. Secondly, Lord, although it's troubling news, it's good news that you haven't changed. You're still holy. But we as Christians now have received a better covenant through a superior mediator, Jesus Christ, built on better promises, and therefore we can with boldness draw near. So help us, Lord, to give you more than half-hearted attention, but to give you all of our attention in response to your mercy and grace. And then live our lives as those who are treasured possessions, obeying your voice, listening to your word, telling others about Jesus, and praying that they would behold you as you and your grace have allowed us to see you. Jesus, our consuming fire, who was the friend of sinners and rose again for their plentiful redemption. Lead us this week, Lord in our worship of you. We pray this in the precious name of Christ. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand.